This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Let me introduce to you before we move any further along, though, the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio this evening. First of all, our veteran, a guy he's here, uh, he's here often, and we're thrilled that he is here often because he's always fantastic. That would be Mike Fortune of Cable 14, the host of a variety of things, but including City Matters, which is on every second Wednesday on Cable 14 with Darren Laidman and Sandy Shaw. Darren's the host. Uh, sh- uh, Sandy and I get on. We are, we're the sidekicks, and we have a little fun. We talk about everything council, what's coming up that Wednesday night, and it's a lot of fun to be on the show. And uh, yeah, check it out. 10 o'clock or noon, uh, 4, 6, and 10 o'clock. It's a, it's a good program. Wow, you put in a lot of hours. Well, well no, I don't. <laughs> Darren does. I don't. I just show up for my segment. But it's great to be here again, Scotty. Thanks for having me, man. And next to him, uh, a guy, again, I describe as a rookie but hardly a rookie, a voice you've heard millions of times if you pay attention to the news in this city. He was a city councillor. He was an MPP. Uh, He is now a consultant with uh, the interestingly named Brad Clark Associates. It's, I couldn't come up with a better name. I was going to say, I thought there was a company for sale by that name, and you I was never you creative. had to buy. That would be Brad Clark, former I narrowed counselor. it down to BCA. It, it works. Yeah, no, yeah, well, it, you know what? The Scott Radley Show, Brad Clark Associates. I'm sure there's like Mike Fortune Enterprises somewhere. It's somewhere. And I'm dyslexic, so BCA comes out to ABC, so it works perfect for me. However it works for you, that's okay. You get it in a different order. You know. Now, have you ever typed in just BCA and seen what else pops up? Is there any like inappropriate companies that uh, come up? The building Code Act. <laughs> <laughs> That's how boring my company is. <laughs> Hold on a second. I got to actually do this right now. No, so I'm, I'm doing it as oh, well. No. I'm curious. I want to see what comes up here. BCA. BCA. Yet uh, research. Uh, BCA Research Independent Investment. Okay. Backcountry Access. Don't BCA, even know what BCA that is. BCA Mobile. The bank credit analysis. Business consulting. Yeah. Right. You know. You you look okay. Beach Cheer Athletics. Wow. That actually sounds like you might want to get involved with that. I'm clicking on that one. <laughs> I'm having visions right now. <laughs> Thank goodness we're on radio. I'm turning red. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that is Brad Clark Associates if you're choosing BCA. But that's, uh, that's you know, lots of free. But just type in BCA. You'll eventually come to it. Uh, guys, let's let's start with this. And since this is in both of your wheelhouses, Brad, as a former city councilor, Mike, as, as a guy who does the city matters and follows city council closely, uh, Matthew Van Dongen today was down at city council and sent out this tweet, which I think is going to make a lot of people's um, blood pressure drop and uh, break into a cold sweat. And I'm not really being funny. Here it is. Councilors are speaking very gravely about anticipated doubling of debt load by 2019. Weirdly, this has been anticipated for years. But Brad, I'll, I'll go to you first because really, this is in your this is in your wheelhouse. Um, I don't even I can't remember the number off the top of my head what the debt is. But if we were to double our debt load, we that sounds exceedingly ominous. Let's start with there. That sounds like it is a really ominous position to be in. I mean, we don't. I understand that governments take on some debt, but when you start talking doubling in the span of Three years? That's scary. Yes. Um, and it was predicted and projected for quite some time. I spoke about it at, at length for four years um, because we knew it was coming. And and the anticipation is that it will be much higher than that. Why so, is it coming? Why have we known it's been coming? Um, part of it was the rebuilding of the sewer treatment plant in Hamilton. It's They're putting in a tertiary um, treatment center. And so that's a significant improvement to the sewer treatment. So we won't have the pollution going into the harbor, which is a good thing. But that is a, you know, $300 million project. So it's a significant project. 
And it's uh, just a combination of many, many other things. And the debt just increases over time. It's the debt isn't the larger concern. The, the larger concern for me is what your cash flow is in relationship to your debt. Because you, as you know, just like at home, you can have debt, but if you're making good money, you're going to have more debt, and you're comfortable. As soon as your cash flow drops, then you're in trouble. And so, for the municipality, uh, as long as um, the there is growth within the municipality. Uh, then we can cover off the debt. And we have not had spectacular growth in the last few years. So it, it, it is a bit of a concern. It's something to watch. It's not crisis yet. And um, uh, Moody's and, and all of those bond agencies are still comfortable with the cash-to-debt ratio. But how, Sorry, I'm not to jump in here, Scott, on you, but how how do we... How do we avert this? Like, what can we do, Brad? As well, it doesn't a city? sound like there's any way to avert it. You can't it, really. avert it. You can't. Um, what we did do, and I was very pleased to be a part of it. Mike Zagarek, we have a fantastic general manager of finance for the city of Hamilton. Uh, the guy is a really an expert when it comes to finance, and he tells you the truth. He doesn't spin it politically. He just gives you the facts, and council make a decision. So uh, it would have been uh, three and a half years ago now. Um, that we started talking about a debt policy for the city of Hamilton. There was no debt policy. And so there was nothing saying, well, how high your debt could go and what would trigger and what would cap it. And, and so uh, Mr. Zagarek uh, and I worked on a debt policy. It was about a 100-page document that, that council approved unanimously. And that actually puts controls on it. So now they just can't raise the debt without changing policy, which becomes a big problem for them publicly. But le- here's, and you mentioned it, Brad, that, okay, so we, we, it's the spending thing, it's the money thing, it's, it's not so much just to have the debt, it's how are we going to service this debt, and so there's two possibilities in my mind. Mm-hmm. One is you either bring in more revenue, which means more businesses and more taxes, and find more ways to nail people for taxes. I'll use the word nail people. You don't have to. Um, or the other is you cut back you on You remember spending. I'm not on council now, right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or the other way is to really cut back on spending. And now when I and the reason I mention this is because back in, let me find the date of this, uh, back in March, Matthew Van Dongen, who sent out the same tweet that he covers City Hall for The Spectator, wrote a long piece in The Spectator. Many people would have read it. It was called Hamilton, the Unaffordable City, and it had all kinds of charts and things. And there was a line in there. There was a quote from Mayor Fred Eisenberger that I find really interesting, which I don't know that I agree with. We don't have a spending problem. We have a revenue problem. (laughs) And I got to tell you, I look at this, and I've argued this forever, that I don't want to see mass layoffs or firings at City Hall. But to me, when we start talking about, you look at the sunshine list and you see how many people are working for the city, it's time to put a moratorium on hiring and let the numbers dwindle a bit. And Brad or Mike... The, 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 it strikes me that, you know what, we have lived in a time where we now expect everything to be provided at all times in instant service, and we may have to just change our attitude. We may have to say, you know what, I'm going to have to live without some of this instant service from the city. I may have to live with waiting a little while, maybe not getting that done, because we can't afford to go up to double our debt, not have much more in the way of revenue. We can't, Brad, we can't be taxed to cover double our debt, can't uh, and, we? And, and no, you can't. And it's not just the debt that's the issue. It's also the deficit. Uh, and so what we have in Hamilton is we have a balanced budget every year, but we have an infrastructure deficit, which is significant. It's huge. Three point something trillion dollars. You're, you're looking on roads alone about $160 million a year. 
that we don't have to keep our roads up. So since they're not bringing in the additional revenue and since they're not putting up the taxes to cover that shortfall in terms of the deficit and in the infrastructure, then what happens is the infrastructure gets worse and worse. And that's why so many people are complaining about roads all the time. And so, you know, I think Hamilton is due for a, a, an adult conversation about what we can afford, what we cannot afford, um, and, and make sure the public is aware that they're having to make some difficult decisions. And if a few hundred people call into councillors' offices complaining about that cut, that doesn't mean that they just say, okay, we'll, we'll keep it. Sometimes you simply have to say no. Well, and Mike, because we're going to get nailed, and I use the word again, yep. but the Ontario government has their new taxing carbon thing coming mm-hmm. in in the next little while, mm-hmm. and we know that the federal liberals have increased our debt and deficit by whatever percentage. All this is going to eventually come out of our pocket. The city of Hamilton can't then add an extra $1,000 or two to our tax roll to say, well, we'll cover this off. We just can't do it. We can't do it. And, you know, you guys touched on it very briefly. Look at all the money that is being spent and wasted by City Hall, and we only know of the things that are kind of made public. We don't know what else goes on behind the scenes. You look at consultant fees for $240,000, uh, You look at that, that are L- then ignored. You, that are ignored. You look at the LRT meeting that took place. That was a $30,000 day right there alone. Uh, you look at all the free paid lunches and dinners. That might seem small, but in the grand scheme of things, it does eventually add up. And now we're hearing about cat licensing and bike licensing, all this ridiculous stuff. And, and Brad, please educate me just a little bit. Over the years, uh, when former Mayor Bertina was on board, and I know Mayor Eisenberger's now on board, They've talked about all the new business that's coming into Hamilton, all the new revenue that is that is that is coming, and how it, it's just it's fantastic. And you got the Canada Breads and the IBMs. This is all great stuff. If all this is coming in, where is it all going? Why are we not building up uh, what we have in our account so we don't get into this position? That's what I don't understand. If they're always talking positive, yeah. If if and again, as a part of that adult conversation, if we're looking at on a balance in terms of how many new businesses are coming in and what businesses have left, we've lost a lot of business. If you're looking at tax revenue that's coming in, when you have uh, U.S. Steel and larger companies like that appealing their taxes and getting significantly reduced tax bills from um, um, what you, uh, I forget the municipal assessment uh, uh, program, then then you we end up behind the eight ball again as as a municipality. So it's I, I guess my my biggest concern is is frequently politicians of all stripes, and I'm not blaming anyone around the council table or anyone at the province. They talk glowingly about everything that we're accomplishing, and they kind of avoid the issues that need to be addressed. And so what happens is they creep up on us and then we have a crisis. This year we're going to have a really challenging budget. They're talking about potential layoffs and a number of other things. Um, Perhaps if they had looked at it years back, then they wouldn't be in this situation now. But it doesn't matter. They are here, and they have to deal with it, and that's going to be their job. The tricky part to me, again, is that you either, you either find new revenues or you cut your spending. I don't, I don't, is there a third option? No, there is no third There's no option. third option. And so if we can't wave a magic wand and bring in tons of businesses that can vastly increase our revenues, we have to then be willing to make cuts at City Hall and and have to then be willing to live with some of those cuts. The problem is, Brad, if a cut is made to something you're interested in, 
you're screaming at your counselor. And Mike, if a cut's made yeah. to something you're interested in, you're screaming, and me too. And it falls, it's not just the counselors. We can all dump on the counselors, and that's fun to do, and that's easy to do. But ultimately, it, the people in the city who are the ones screaming at their counselor because they refuse to let something be cut, that it falls cor- on you. That's correct. Yeah. It falls on you. So, so we ha- all have to give something up, don't we? Some hard decisions have to start to be made down at city council. But nobody wants to do that. And it's not just the councillors. It's not just the councillors. But this has been an ongoing issue, not just for this term, but for many terms, for many years with our council. And we're starting to see some of the effects of it now. Well, we have a municipality that is filled with many very strong neighborhood associations. They're excellent advocates. So they advocate to the councillors for whatever their local project is. Uh, we have a system where the councillors um, are in charge of their ward, um, and for the most part, um, city councillors will defer decisions to the ward councillor. And so when you look at all of those things, you're, it's, it's, it's built into a system where um, the squeaky wheel gets, gets the, the grease. grease. And, and we're now at a point where that can't happen anymore. What would happen? We just got a minute or two left here. What would happen? And I'm not proposing this. I'm throwing this out as a goofy idea. What would happen if city council or the city said to every single department, you must cut 10% by next year? How, how impactful would that truly be on the city? Would the city grind to a halt? No. Other businesses have done it. Um, so it could be done. It would depend on how it was done. If there was someone overseeing that 10% reduction and making sure that staff weren't coming back with the most explosive cuts. Um, because to make a his, point. Well, mm-hmm. historically, there's detente between civil servants and politicians. It exists in every government. So the civil servants and the politicians can harm each other or help each other. And so they work together in unison to move everything forward. So if you say to the civil servants, we're going to cut by 10%, they're going to come forward and say, well, here's the items that we can cut, and it's going to be the ones that the p- public don't, don't want cut. Just to make a point. Here, here, well, they say, oh, you're going you're to have to cut um, your HSR service. That's right. No more ambulances. Anywhere. You've got to drive your and so sick one to the And so it becomes hospital. an explosion. The spectator and all the local media write the headlines, and then people start screaming, and then the politicians say, well, we can't do that. What would happen, Let me just, Mike, just before yep. we go to the break, what would happen if you said the same thing? You must, every department, you must cut by 10%, and you have three years to do it. Would that change things? Yes. And and that's something that I've advocated in the past is that you would phase in the cuts, that you would look at a system which is really looking for efficiencies and that you have your audit and finance committee monitoring it, uh, much like they have the Treasury Board provincially to, to ensure that the right areas are being looked at, where there's duplication in service and things like that first. I was just going to quickly ask, and again, I'm asking your questions here, Scott. Is that something that then, Brad, in your eyes, has to be led by Mayor Fred Eisenberger to get that ball rolling? Not necessarily. Um, the, the, we have a strange municipal structure in Hamilton. We don't have the executive mayor role that John Tory has. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, any councillor who, who feels that they want to lead that charge could come forward and push for it and get the consensus around the table and move forward. Mm-hmm. It could be the mayor. Um, the mayor has been uh, very careful about um, not going too far to cause a division within the council and a division further within the city. <laughs> yeah, any councillor that's going to bring that one up better be in reasonably firm 
territory because if their uh, if their constituents decide they don't like that idea, that's a that's a. I have to tell you, when I raised issues of of zero based budgeting and things like that, my constituents were on side and they understood there was going to be impacts locally, but they realized that in the long term you have to do something. And so the ones that are going to complain are the people who would complain anyway. even if they get a small reduction in service. And so you really need to balance across 500,000 people living in Hamilton. Are we being are we treating all of the wards equitably and are we providing efficient services that are required and where there's luxuries or duplication, we get rid of them. I, I mean, I have a very simple way to do this, is just simply allow the three of us to sit here and eliminate anything we don't <laughs> use or want, and then it'll be fine. We'd be able to balance the budget. I think <laughs> families across <laughs> Hamilton at dinner time have already done that. <laughs> this is true. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. That's, uh, yeah, no, it is indeed. Let's look. Quick break. Back after this on the Scott Radley Show. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. In studio with Mike Fortune and with Brad Clark, former city councillor, former MPP, and of course Mike Fortune, Cable 14 TV host, and two men, by the way, with two of the better hair quaffs in this city. i got to tell you. Like I, I'm, and I'm, I'm old. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's impressive. I'm feeling very self-conscious in here. Hair envy? And this hair. is my real hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can run your fingers through yours. I, I, I ain't got too much product. I, I wouldn't do that. I, I, I get stuck in there. I, I would almost like to... Well, no, I'm, I'm not going to say it. Like, I was say, I'd like to see what Mike looks like coming out of the shower, oh, but that's going to be completely misinterpreted what that sounds like. I was talking about his hair, but anyway. <laughs> Let's stick with... Uh, uh, before Happy I get Friday. myself, I'm glad this is radio because yeah, I'm turning Friday. red again. <laughs> before we get too far along this line, let's stick with City Council for one more uh, segment here because, and I was not going to get to this because, frankly, it strikes me that it is almost inane this discussion that is being had. But licensing, we've gone from cat licensing to arguing about dog licensing, which I really don't think was truly an issue. I think it was more of let's make a a point here about the cat licensing by arguing the dog licensing to bike licensing. But let's we're going to go through all three of those very quickly. Let's start with the cat licensing. Mike, I'll start with you this time. What do you think? Can I just bang my head against the, the desk here? Uh, you know, this this is something, and I, I understand where Councillor Marula is coming from. He has a passion for dogs and all that, and I understand where he was coming from. But this is just something where... It's, it sounds like a big money grab. I was going to ask you, do you think that's what it is? It's, it's a huge money grab. I don't know how the heck you can monitor this, how you manage it. Oh, let me guess. You're going to have to probably hire some more people that we can't afford at fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 a year to manage all of this. You know, I, I saw a great article uh, written and then a comment was talked about. You know, why can't the city work together with some veterinarians and, and have the whole spade and neutering thing kind of chopped three quarters or in half or you work towards funds to that that might eliminate a large part of the the cat population but to be starting to throw licensing on cats that are indoor i think it is it's just it's it, it's a money grab when I think you said spade or neutering and then you use the word chopped a whole lot of cats around the city just crossed their <laughs> yeah. legs yeah yeah um, it, but you know it's not a, it's not the most ridiculous idea ever to say listen rather than going the licensing way if you bring your cat to us we'll get it spayed or neutered for free just to solve this problem we'll hire we'll yeah the city will pay a vet for a year or for two years or whatever to just do free spaying and, and neutering 
And then by doing that, then you can keep track and monitor the cat population, so on and so forth. So there's there's ways of doing it. But to ding people that are already struggling with their their household budget, as we talked in the last segment, I don't I don't think it's, I don't even think ten bucks is fair. Brad, is it a cash grab, or do you see some value to what the council, some of the councillors are saying? I think it's long overdue. I I think that they have a serious issue with feral cats now in the city. Um, the council has for a long time, and I was a part of it. I put it off. I, I argued against it, um, and and it was just based on that the feral cat population was not that significant, and if people were responsible owners, we wouldn't have the issues that we have. It didn't happen. It became more of an issue, um, and so the city really does have to look at how they're going to do it, and and I'm. Um, hopeful that folks like Aiden Johnson, who said, I'm not offside completely on this, but I want to see where the money is going, which is a fair comment. Too often we pass legislation and say, well, we're going to put the money over here, but we don't want to really have a plan on how we're going to spend the money. And then, and it, goes then, and then it goes to general revenue. And so I, I, I thought his, his comments were prudent. Um, and they might have been able to defer the decision, but um, it would appear that they wanted to have a decision, and that's why it went down to a tie vote and failed. But let me let me ask you this. I, I don't know how bad the cat population is. I truly don't. I don't have the numbers, the stats, um, how many bite marks and scratch marks there are from cats on little kids or adults in certain wards in the city. At the same time, if you see a cat quietly walking down the street or sniffing in a garden or something it's not harming you you see a dog coming at you or or not on a leash i'm going to be more terrified of that dog i'm not as concerned about a cat i i, I don't where i live in in uh, in ward uh, ward eight i don't see a cat problem like wh- where are we having all of these cat issues is it all downtown i don't even know those stats um the west end of the city has a significant population of feral cats, um, and on the outlying skirts, uh, obviously there's issues there too. Yeah. It, it really comes down to that if if it's a matter of equity, and it wasn't a significant cost. I think it was like twenty dollars. It was not a significant cost to the license. But but again, if you're someone that's struggling on a budget. Mind you, if you're struggling on a budget, you probably shouldn't even have cats. You shouldn't have to pay for the litter. You probably you shouldn't, shouldn't be buying Tim Hortons food. coffees either. It, it, but I agree. People are. Or your pack of cigarettes. Or cigarettes. So, I, I mean, it's at the end of the day, if if you're wanting to own a cat and you're going to spend the money to feed your cat, then you should be able to afford a $20 license. Um, I don't think it was that onerous. I think it was a prudent course of action. Um, and I, I really believe they will go there eventually. See, when we have too many deer running around in the woods, we open up a hunt. Maybe we give oh, slingshots geez. to neighborhood kids. Oh, <laughs> wow. I'm kidding. I'm just trying to get the cat I'm no, people I'm fired not, up. I'm not giving out my email today. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't own cats. I'm allergic to cats, so it doesn't bother But I'm, I, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm be, but why not, why not just say, listen, if there are cats out there, we gather them up. And if your cat is out there and it has a name tag or something... You're paid. You're you're fine. You have to pay a fee to get your cat back. And otherwise, I'm sorry. We're well, just there gonna... are other issues that are are involved though. There's a a significant euthanasia mm-hmm. issue within the city where a lot of cats are are being killed um, because there's no owner for them. No one's coming to get them. And so the issue is if you can't find the owner because they're not licensed and they're not registered anywhere, then that cat's life is at risk. And so having the money to, A, having a system to find the owner, B, having the money to 
uh, hold off on euthanasia uh, so that it doesn't happen as quickly as it is happening. Those are all positive things for society. Let's go to the other big licensing thing that was up today or started to be talked about today, although uh, Councillor Jason Farr made the comment that if we're really going to talk about this, we need to clear out a cat licensing size chunk of time, which means like a lot of it, which was bike licensing. We want to pay for bike lanes. We want to be able to maintain the bike lanes and grow the bike lanes. We Maybe we should be charging cyclists for the right to have a bike on the streets of Hamilton. What do you think about that? We, hey, you, you have to have a license to, ride a car, to drive a car. You have to, we, we say if you're going to be on the street with a car, you have to. And if bikes are getting the same legal right of way and the same legal use of the roads that cars are, why not? Well, uh, and I don't think that licensing bikes is a municipal responsibility, so I'm not sure who the councillor is that's suggesting it. Um, the Highway Traffic Act deals with vehicles, deals with bikes, motorbikes, and all the rest of the stuff. So um, it's more of a provincial issue, and I, I'm not sure what the end goal is. Money. Honestly. And if that, that's the goal, then they should be trying to cut expenses before they start adding um, a, a fee for a bicycle on, you know. There's an awful lot of bikes on that kids are driving. Well, are you going to license them all? You, you're going to come to my eight-year-old and say, oh, you're on your little I, tricycle I, I, with yeah. your training wheels, fork out 10 bucks a month, Okay, please. so dad's driving down the road on his bike. He's got to pay a license, but the three kids that are riding behind him. So it, it really, it, there's a, a lot of disparity, and, and it's pretty much a paradox because they're all driving on the road. So we just talked about cats, and we said there's a big problem with cats, and we, we have to be able to pay for this, and so... What if, should we not, let me put it another way, should we be putting more emphasis on giving tickets to cyclists who break the law? If we're going to pay for the, if we're going to hit up people to pay for, we're going to bring in revenues to pay for bike lanes and we have people running I've a seen, red light I've or whatever, let's pull police officers over. ticket bikes. Yeah. Oh yeah, there already is that out so, there. So, I mean, the police officers have that discretion just as they have the discretion for whether or not they issue a ticket to someone who's driving 50 in a 40 kilometer uh, zone. Um, so that, that does happen. I don't, generally when you're looking at licensing, licensing is simply a form of regulation. And so the question is, what are you trying to solve? What's the, the, the mm. challenge, the issue that you have that you're trying to solve with that licensing? There is no issue with bicycles. What's, there is no issue in terms of why you would need to, to, to register bicycles. And, and that's where people would say, hey, wait a minute, this is just money. Uh, good guess you might want to get on at some point regarding that, uh, to Brad's point, is Claus Wagner from Hamilton Police Services. I think he'd be able to answer a lot of those questions yep. for you. Um, again, it comes down to money. It comes down to a big uh, tax grab that uh, council doesn't know what to do. They're they're floundering, so now they got to find a way to bring in uh, ideas to bring in money. Uh, you followed this on Twitter throughout the day. Everyone is just making a complete joke and mockery of this. Again, city council has to look at themselves internally, look at their own budget, and start hacking and slashing internally as opposed to always going after us for more dollars and here I, and there. I personally, I don't get that excited. My blood pressure doesn't go up when a councillor floats a balloon that that may or may not have any real air in it. Um, and uh, people get very agitated and then they blame all of the council for this, this stupidity. Um, just let it flow because the council will generally deal with issues that are remarkably asinine and push them to the side relatively quickly. If there isn't something 
that they're fixing, they don't want to deal with it. They'll get rid of it. I think part of it is, Brad, and I see exactly what you're saying. I I think a lot of it is just the frustration of of what we see on a daily basis of what goes on around that horseshoe. It It seems like there's a lot of balloons being floated up when there are a lot of other serious topics living wage, poverty, homelessness, uh, food banks. Um, it, it just, it, it's frustrating when we're hearing about these other things that really shouldn't even be brought up. I think we should simply license cats riding bikes. <laughs> if you can find a cat riding a bike, they should have to be licensed for license. that. <laughs> I, would, I would pay for that because I think that cat would make me a lot of money. <laughs> there let, you go, yeah. Let me, as we, sat, we go to commercial, and I was, I, was, I was, of course, being silly, but um, let me tell you the story of... Um, Howard Brookins Jr. You, you you hope your day. I usually start this way, but I'm going to f- put it in here. I hope your day was better than Howard Brookins Jr. was the other day. Uh, he's a Chicago alderman. This comes back to bikes. Hang in there. <laughs> he's a Chicago alderman who went on a public tirade back in October about squirrels in the city. The squirrels were out of control, like the cats are in Hamilton. Squirrels are eating through wires and they're eating through city garbage pails and everything else and he went on a rampage and wanted the city to do something about the squirrels and everyone in the city said Howard shut up get back to some serious business well Howard was riding his bike the other day true story he is now in hospital with a skull fracture because a squirrel leapt into the path of his bike and got tangled in the spokes, and he went over the handlebars. <laughs> Howard was correct about the danger of the squirrel infestation. There you go. No, but that squirrel was an activist. It was, <laughs> it was a suicide mission to it take out Howard. It was a kamikaze Howard. squirrel uh, that took out Howard. So I hope your day was better than Howard Brookins Jr., who was <laughs> taken out by a squirrel after talking about how the squirrels oh, were out nuts. to get him. <laughs> Uh, Before we go to, I can't leave it on that one. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. And guys, sad, sad story today. And I'm not being funny. Very, I mean, someone that everybody remembers watching. Florence Henderson Mm. died today. Carol Brady from the Brady Bunch. Who, you know, she was. She was 82 years old. She still struck me that she looked about 60. I don't know. She had sort of gone into some sort of time warp and uh, never really aged. But any of either, either of you want to take a stab at what it what what it is about certain characters on TV, certain mothers that just work? What was it about Carol Brady? Because she was the Brady Bunch. Carol Brady was the she mother. She was the iconic mother. Why? What was it about her? What was it about her character that we all wish we had as part of our mother? I mean, not that our mothers aren't great. They are. Well, we know they're great. she never hit but... their kids. <laughs> so I would have appreciated that. Um, <laughs> she never was, yelled She was screamed. very loving. She, she rationally dealt with them, and yeah. she was uh, never plussed. She was never... Flustered ever. Yeah. No, she was always... She came down with her hair already made. A lot of valium. A lot of valium. Yeah, and the pearls on, no matter what time of day it was. Yeah. I wasn't a big Brady Bunch person, but we're going back... It was For me, it was Happy Days. And Mrs. Cunningham. And, and, you know, I guess kind of... Another iconic mother. Kind of similar, right? You know, Mrs. Cunningham, she just always had that big smile on her face, was always welcoming to anyone that ever came into their house, and you just, you felt a connection. You felt like, man, that's awesome. Not that my mother wasn't like that as well, but it just, it it was nice. You know you could watch that type of television, and just, it was feel-good TV. Marion Ross. Marion Ross was uh, Mrs. Cunningham, whose name was Marion Cunningham. I wonder if they chose it for the same reason, but anyway, it's a different discussion. But no, though there are certain characters on TV that Honestly, and, and not being silly, that do more than just, it's more than you just watch. Like you feel a real a connection. She, and she a was dis- like everyone's mother. 
Yeah. And and what was interesting well, you for hope. me is you her, her talent, uh, and she's known for the Brady Bunch, but she was uh, impressively talented. A wonderful voice, could dance, could sing. I mean, she she really had an awful lot of talent. And it was never really displayed in the Brady Bunch. Well, when they went on their tour around well, the yeah, world right. for their singing tour in the yep, Brady yeah. Bunch in Hawaii, man, we got to see her singing yep. and dancing. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and not <laughs> the to, lesser known of the shows. And, and even if you go, you go the other side. You know, the the fathers. You know, back before everything happened, who did you always look to as the iconic father? Mike Bill, Brady, Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby, Bill Mike Cosby. Brady. Yeah, yeah. So know? here's my question about all this. We look back, and we're talking about the. The Partridge family, the Brady Bunch, Happy Days. So we're talking in the 70s, maybe back into the 60s a little bit. And now we get to the point when almost every mother or father character, certainly every father character on TV, is generally a buffoon. And a lot of mother characters are also seen as buffoons. When did it change that we went from looking to parent figures on TV as admirable to looking at parent figures on TV as goofballs? Married with children. You think that's the, the moment? It, it, I would argue, yeah, that was probably one of the first um, sitcoms that hung out the father as the buffoon, and and from that point on, it was it was the formula yeah. that producers were looking for, and and there was always the father figure that they would make. Be- because you you go from these family family value shows, even like a Family Ties, Family Ties, where, where Cosby they, Show, where, yeah, they were all where like there was that. always lessons that were part of it. Yet so, yet there there was also a little bit of humor that never crossed the line. We're in a day and age now where you know you can say whatever you basically want on any network nowadays and get away with it, and it's it's more for the shock value. I think you have a lot of these shows now where people just want to laugh and go, yeah, what an idiot, or isn't she a bozo? And it's really unfortunate that you've gone away from family values to kind of I'll call it like a shock comedy, if you will, yeah. stupidity comedy. And here's the million dollar question: Then, do you think that that has actually impacted on the way? we seem today to look at our parents or a lot of people do as you know i mean everyone in my this kids room, love me well and i'm I, the smartest guy they know <laughs> <laughs> but and, and but you know what there's a lot of people you look around and you see a lot of people who don't have that level of respect do you think that tv can have that kind of impact do you think tv can the change children? attitudes yeah yes the chi- i i mean i i've watched many children grow up now friends family um and i've seen them pick up the sarcastic comments that is quite prominent in television and use it with their parents. And uh, the parents are a little bit shocked when it happens and and they don't respond and they just let it go. And then it becomes a part of now they're doing it to the teacher and everyone else. And the parents are probably also to blame a little bit as well, you know, because they're doing it too. Now with that said, it's funny how we're going into the sixties and the seventies and maybe even into the early eighties. There's a show out right now called this is us. Yes. And they do a lot of flashbacks to the late 70s, early 80s. And again, it goes back to where you're learning about these family values. You're seeing how families work together, how they had to actually communicate as opposed to being on Game Boys and whatever. The yep. Game Boys, that's how old I am now. But so, it, it's, it's funny how that era really encapsulated family time and family values and how it's all going out. So here's your now. question, just before we go to break. Yeah. Other than Mrs. Cunningham, other than Mrs. Brady... Who would you say is give me give me one or two others? I'm gonna test you guys. Who give me one or two others who would fall into the category of like great TV mothers? 
Well, who was the mother off of Family Ties? Family Ties. Okay, Meredith, Meredith Baxter. 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 There you go. All right, Meredith Baxter. We'll put her on the list. We'll see. You got anyone, Brad, that comes to mind? I'm going way back, but I, when Lucille Ball ended up having a child, okay, she was the, the, the mother figure big time. I got one more. Felicia Rashad. From the Cosby Show? Yeah. Sure. June yeah. Cleaver? June, oh, jeez. Oh, sure. How do we forget about- Okay, so here, the, here is Ranker.com, which does, uh, they take things and you can vote on them yeah. and it puts- So here's the top 15 TV mothers of all time, according to Ranker.com. Number 15 is Edith Bunker. Lucy mm-hmm. Ricardo, there's Brad's choice, yeah. Lucy Ricardo, Kitty Foreman from that 70s show. I would not have necessarily had her there, but okay, well, you know, that's fine. Luke is wildly nodding behind the glass. He's a big fan. <laughs> uh, Shirley Renfrew Partridge from the Partridge family. Wilma Flintstone. <laughs> Olivia Walton from the Waltons. Poor Betty. Oh, yes. Marge Simpson. Oh, jeez. Jill Taylor from Home Improvement. Caroline Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie. Uh, now Mike's choice, Claire Huxtable. Number comes in at number six. Number five, June Cleaver. Number four, a little bit of a surprise up this high, Morticia Adams. I was trying to remember her name. (laughs) (laughs) Number three is Marion Cunningham from Happy Days. Number two is Carol Brady from the Brady Bunch. And number one, would not have guessed this one, Samantha Stevens from Bewitched. Nope, wouldn't have guessed it. Wouldn't have guessed that hmm. one. Anyway, there you go. You know what? It it was. I was kind of. I was actually legitimately. Saddened for a few minutes this morning when I saw that because that 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 show, as goofy as it was, as schlocky in seventies as it was, it kind of did symbolize something. It's it did the passing of an era. It is exactly. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. We move along, Mike. Um, this one is a pet peeve of mine, but I thought I would extend this and throw it out there to see if anyone else shared the same gripe and uh, people on this show have who listen regularly have heard me talk about this before but I will now allow some other voices to see if they follow this I am absolutely disgusted by a lot of the stuff as far as political correctness and shutting people down and everything else that happens on university campuses now I find that the university campuses that were supposed to once upon a time be a place for thought and challenging opinions and broadening your horizons have become a place where everybody is offended by everything. Mm -hmm. And the latest example comes to us from, hey, Canada, look at that, where Marie Hennen, who was the lawyer who represented Gian Gomeshi in his trial, Mm -hmm. a woman who by every account did a magnificent job Mm -hmm. at the job for which she was hired to do. She was a successful woman. Mm was asked to come to St. Francis Xavier to give a speech, and the shrill voices out there are screaming her down, saying she should be not allowed to give her speech and should be kicked off campus because she is an enabler of rape and not standing up for women, and she is a female sexist. Help me out here. Um, Is it me, or is this just a sign that the apocalypse is getting close to us, that we are unable to listen to anyone else's point of view without becoming fully hysterical about it? If I've said it once on this show, I've said it a hundred times, we have become a population of of very sensitive needs, and uh, if there is something that we don't like, we feel the need to go on Facebook, on Twitter, and we have to feel vindicated by uh, by all the retweets and favorites that we're going to have and people that are in agreement with us. Here you have a well-educated, articulate, smart woman who, as you alluded to, Scott, did an excellent job uh, doing what she was hired to do, and you go to universities 
they should be eating someone like this up saying, come on in, let's hear you talk. Let's hear what you have to say. So young minds can then choose which way they want I to go. I may disagree with what you did, but I respect how good you are at what you did and how you did it. And please teach me. But Brad, that is, we're not doing that. We're saying if I disagree with you, you do not have a right to tell me anything. You don't have a right to speak, Brad, if I don't agree with everything you say. Um, I wouldn't go that far because I, I think there are certain voices in Canada that uh, know how to get attention and speak up to get attention. And by getting attention, they get more supporters. Um, and so they kind of corral people. But I think the majority of Canadians are relatively soft-spoken. They, they, you know, they are the kinder, gentler people, and they don't really get involved in, in, in the majority of these debates. They also value freedom of speech. And so they, they share your same, the same concern that you do. You know, I may not like what you say. I may think it's despicable, but I will fight to the death for you to say that. Because in our country, we can't have a democracy if we don't have freedom of speech. We can't have it's a democracy. It's the starting point. It, it is the mm-hmm. basic value. And so when that starts to get um, whittled, whittled away um, by folks who are driving their own agenda and people accept it without fighting back, um, that's where we're starting to see a break in, in society. When but, you have universities, and, and I, I would be... Um, I would admonish any university that silences someone because of protests when someone is speaking free speech. Now, I'm not talking about uh, uh, promulgating hate. I'm talking about free speech. You're entitled to your opinion. I can disagree with your opinion. In Britain, it's fantastic. In Britain, they have debates frequently, very high-end debates. Two opposite ends. There's no yelling and screaming. They debate and and they go away happy and and they judge who won the debate. Um, Our debates up here are getting a little bit more shrill. Mm -hmm. Do either of you remember, and I'll use this name as an example, do either of you remember Philippe Rushton? Yes. He was a University of Western professor back in the, what, right of the 80s, I guess? Yep. Who had very controversial research that talked about head size, head circumference in different ethnic groups as indicators of intelligence. Mm -hmm. And of course, he said that. If I remember correctly, and forgive me if I don't, I'm not trying to be offensive, but that Asian people were most intelligent based on circumference of head relative to body size and on and on. And of course, then he came to the fact that black people were the least intelligent. And this invariably, inevitably led to massive outcry. But, but as outrageous as what he was saying was at that time, He was given at least a platform. Listen, you can explain yourself and we'll then determine whether or not there's anything to this or whether you're just a racist and a whack job. But he had that ability. We had the ability then to hear out someone who we disagreed with, maybe even be more in disagreement with them when they were done, but we heard them. Well, and there was... And there's many other examples. I just picked him out here. Yeah, there's... In the science community, I mean, you... You come out with a thesis, um, you, you prove your thesis with experimentation and study, and then someone peer reviews it to see whether or not it holds water. And so ultimately, if it's peer reviewed and repeated by other scientists, then it, that becomes a sound theory. 
Um, and, and so to dispute it because of popularism or people being um, insulted by what he is saying um, really starts to gut what the science community is about. And again, they could easily say, listen, we don't necessarily agree. Uh, we think that it could be problematic. You could any number of things. But to silence him is a problem. And, Mike, where we run into real problems with this is universities now. So we've got this situation where Marie, Marie Hanane is supposed to be speaking at a university. She is being shouted down by a lot of people. And Brad just said, well, you can't let this happen. But at a university, if you speak up on behalf of her, you're going to be shouted down equally now as a racist, a sexist, a, an enabler, a, an ist of some kind. And so most people are going, ah, you know, I just, I don't even need the hassle. I don't need to have people picketing my dorm. I don't need to be expelled. I don't need to be blackballed by this. So I'm just going to stay silent. And it, we've created this thing now where if you yell loud enough, no one else is going to yell at all. Isn't it sad how, how, how we've become so narrow-minded? And, and you know, you're almost into a, a bullying phase here. Wait a second. Because you don't agree with my thought and my opinion, you're going to yell and scream and you're not going to let me come out of my dorm or let me walk down the halls without because I because I have an opinion and just because it doesn't agree with yours like there's a whole bigger issue I think to this whole thing where it just comes down to people not being open-minded and and you can get into some pretty nasty things that can happen and it's a real shame do you blame the internet do you blame television do you blame just society in general how we're changing on a regular basis it it it's it's very very unfortunate you know we got three guys here we were talking about something off during the break you know we kind of let things roll off of our back more or less i think and it's too bad more people don't take that thought and that approach you have your opinion that's great i think we've had this talk on this show before you have your opinion i appreciate that thank you i'm now going to walk away i don't have to get into someone's face to say no you're wrong or no you're right well the newspaper at st fx wrote this which again i just i my eyebrows get raised and i just sort of can't get maria Nain is entitled to her freedom of speech and she is entitled to do her job so they've set this up nicely that okay we we believe that you know in the, these ethereal concepts, even though they're going to go on to completely show that they don't. But anyway, next line. However, in all fairness to everyone at this university, the safety of students at this school comes first and foremost and more important than hosting a woman who has spent her career contesting women who are possible victims of sexual assault. So it's not just now that you might hear a different opinion. If you were to hear a different opinion, Presumably, this would threaten, Brad, your very safety. How have we reached this point? Because this can only mean one of two things. Either hearing this is of such damage to you that your life or your psycholog psych psychological health is in jeopardy, or her speaking is going to inspire some group to rise up with pitchforks and torches and cause great bodily harm to others around. It's crazy. Well, it's politically correct hyperbole is what it is. Um, and the downside to it is that the more people shout down uh, different positions because they don't agree with it, then they deprive the society of having an adult discussion on that issue. Mm -hmm. And so 
you may disagree strongly. Uh, I mean, I watched the LRT debate devolve into something that was just disparaging name-calling across, and, and it's no longer about the substance of, of the issue. That's what we, we start to fall into. That's what the American election was, was mm-hmm. predominantly all about. It was no longer about the substance of policy. It was disparaging name-calling on both sides. Uh, and, and, and when you do that you just lose a whole lot of people. So where is the line? And you said a moment ago that, I can't remember the exact wording you used, but that you, see, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to say what you want to say, even if I find it grotesquely offensive, I believe you should have the right to say that, and I will do with it what I'm going to do. If you want to stand up in front of a room full of people and as much as I would find it horribly offensive and start chanting Heil Hitler, I find you to be a buffoon. I think you're an idiot. But you know what? Once you're done, the question is not should you be able to do it. It's what are we going to do with that when you're done? And you know what? You should, in my mind, have the right, other than in places where it's public safety, as people always say, like yelling fire in a crowded theater where someone's going to die. If you want to get up in front of people and act like a boob and say things completely offensive for the sake of shocking them, knock yourself out. But we all know what that makes you, and we all can interpret then your We have many politicians that do it every day. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact is, in our country, the very premise of what the country was founded on is freedom of speech. And you cannot have a democracy without having that freedom of speech. So as soon as you take away that value, as soon as you take away that right, even if it's because someone is accusing you of... of of um, something that is not politically correct, you're eliminating that debate, you're eliminating that discourse, and you're actually hurting the society. If we don't have that discussion, right? I mean, we have uh, latent racism across the country right now. No one wants to talk about it because we're Canadians and there's no racism in Canada because we're tolerant. I have news for you. There's a lot of racism in Canada. It's bubbling under the surface. And if we don't talk about it, then it will get out of control. We need to be able to talk about these pressing issues without someone attacking me for sharing a viewpoint. But that's exactly right. Sorry, but that you, what you're just saying is right. We need to talk about these things, but if I talk about it or if Mike talks about it and the first thing that someone else does is yell, well, you're a racist then. It, it ends. And, and I, f- I find that analogy, and, and Brad, it's, it's so true. You, you can yell and scream at your opinion, which just shows to me you're uneducated on the topic. You're uneducated on the person that you are talking to. You have to yell and scream, I think, as you said, mm-hmm. it, down to someone. Why don't you rise up above it all and listen with open ears and open eyes and be a lot, little calmer? We are, I say, a sensitive society. I think we're also, this day and age, in a very angry society. There's just so much pent-up anger nowadays that the easiest thing to do is just yell back and disagree instead of being having that open-minded. So, Before we go to break, let me ask both of you this question. Either of you can jump in. Can political correctness and free speech coexist? I believe it can. How? I don't... Well, you go ahead. No, no, I, I you know... What do you think? I, I, I don't think political correctness, I think political correctness came about because people were fearful of people yelling at politicians, and so they were trying to find the politically correct way of saying it. I say Merry Christmas. When I was at Queen's Park, 
I was accused of not being politically correct because I said Merry Christmas. You should be saying Happy Holidays. Well, I'm Christian, so I'm wishing goodwill to anyone that I say Merry Christmas to. It's not an insult to them. I'm not loading over them my Christian belief. I'm simply, Your it's, it's just my tradition. Same as um, my Jewish friends would say Shalom or many other things. Um, it, it, it is what it is, but all of a sudden you're not being politically correct, so you can't do that. We had big battles in Hamilton, if you recall, you couldn't put Merry Christmas on, yep. on the escarpment. That is where political correctness has gone wacky. It, it's not necessary. Um, for those who don't want to celebrate Christmas, they don't have to celebrate Christmas. But that expression of Merry Christmas is nothing more than uh, an expression of goodwill, peace, happiness, love to someone else at, at a certain season. That's all it is. And yeah, no one's going, Merry Christmas, idiot. Like yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a greeting that you're it giving is. to someone, but that, and that's just one example. But Mike, let me go back to you. Can ha- it, can happy they coexist? Festivus, everyone? Yeah. There we go. Can they coexist in your mind? Yeah, I I believe they can. And again, it comes down to uh, maybe the person that you are. You have to be aware of the situation that you're in and the people that you are talking to. Now, as a politician, you're you have a lot more eyes looking at you. In my line of work, you know what? I can be politically correct, but I can also stand my ground when I need to. And that's what that's what I think you need to do. And people just need to have more of a of a level head. You know, I'm very fortunate with parents that brought me up to always just be level headed as much as you can and be politically correct, but also stand up for yourself. And there is a fine balance and I think it can be done. You are not going to please everyone all of the time. And as soon as you realize that, your life will get a lot easier. One of the things that I learned as we go to break, one of the things I learned coaching youth sports, and most of the experiences I had were great. I loved it. I loved the kids. I loved doing it. But with a few parents, a small number of parents, whatever decision you make, if there are two choices and you choose decision A and you could have chosen decision B and decision B happens to not necessarily favor their child... The immediate response is to assume your motive was malice towards their kid. Not that there could have been another good reason why you did the other one, and on balance, you thought it was better than the first one. And that, to me, is kind of what you're getting at, both of you, is that if I say Merry Christmas or I say something else, it's not because I just hate your Muslim or Jewish heritage, and therefore I'm going to stick it to you by saying Merry Christmas. It's because... On balance, I think that saying this is a kind thing, and I don't think anyone's offended. And there's a million other examples, but and, we and, always and assume the worst. They assume a motive yes, when exactly. a motive is not there. Exactly. Uh, and society has become much more cynical, so you have many people that are immediately assuming a motive on everything. doesn't matter what it is that's gone wrong, who broke what Pez dispenser, there's a motive behind it. Yep. And it must be the evil one. And it's always the evil one. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, In studio with Mike Fortune and with Brad Clark, brightest panel in Hamilton Radio this evening. Now, here is one that I think people will argue does not fall into the category of things we should be talking about on the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. Because (laughs) there was a comment made today by the commissioner of the Canadian Football League that a lot of people are saying including the CFL Players Association, are saying outrageous, outrageous comment. He was questioned today. Jeffrey Orridge, the commissioner of the CFL today, was questioned about concussions and CTE in football players. 
And what he said was, there is no conclusive evidence at this point to connect the game of football to concussions and brain injuries. And of course, this caused a an outcry all over the place that how can you possibly, possibly say that? So, both of you two, you are both people who have led in the business world. Someone asked you a question, Brad, that you know what the answer is. But you also know as a lawyer, and there's a lawsuit pending, that if you give the honest answer, you're basically giving up the lawsuit and it's going to be admitting fault. What's the answer? How do you answer that question if you are standing up on that stage? That's a tricky one. Um, Turn on your microphone there. That's a tricky one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I, I don't know what the question was. I don't know whether or not it was specific to concussions causing uh, or football causing the concussions or football is causing um, CTE. I I, I wasn't sure exactly what the question is. So I'm listening to his comments and and he's basically playing – um, the scientific theory that um, there is no real degree of certainty with scientific uh, studies. Um, no scientist will guarantee that this is the case. And so he's saying there's no certainty, um, which is probably an accurate statement. There are studies showing it, and there are studies showing not so much. So, But whether or not I would have waded into that issue... Because um, even the NFL, even the NFL has now acknowledged it. A spokesman yep. for the NFL has acknowledged it. So it, the problem you face is, it's one of these questions where if you say yes, Mike, you are basically throwing away the lawsuit and throwing away money because you're admitting f- fault. And if you say no, everyone's going to accuse you of lying and being a protector of the status quo where people are suffering. Yeah, a communications analyst would have said, I would suggest that you simply stay well. That's what's actually going to be decided by the court case. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, there, there's ways to deflect, to, to pivot. There's ways to answer the question without really answering the question. I'm very curious to hear or to know what his end game is. Like, uh, did he just want the CFL and the Grey Cup all over the headlines, all over Twitter and Facebook? You know, like, I don't understand what his reasoning is to make that comment. Well, it was, part so of a larger, it. it was part of a larger process press conference, there were a lot of topics that came up, but this one, and I, you, you kind of had to know that this one was going to then take the headlines when you make a comment that flies in the face of what everybody believes right now. It's like the, it was like, remember in the, uh, what was it, the congressional hearings a number of years ago when the four or five cigarette bosses sat mm-hmm. there and none of them would admit that cigarettes led to cancer and everyone's looking going, yeah. Jeez, guys, really? Why did he not come back with with evidence that proved otherwise then? That would have made this statement a lot more easier to digest, possibly. But just to blatantly go out and say it doesn't prove anything anymore, or whatever his exact wording was, you know, you have to have something to back that up with. Again, just to be able to take the podium and have that moment of time in front of all your reporters across Canada. Uh, I, I think that was very poor timing. I think it was a poor way to answer that question. It's it's, it's very unfortunate. And, and uh, let's see if he can say that same statement and give that same answer in front of uh, football families that have lost their, their, their husbands and fathers and sons due to some sort of head injury caused potentially by a sport. Here's the quote that he gave to the answer. Last I heard, it's still a subject of debate in the medical and scientific community, Orange told reporters. The league's position is that there is no conclusive evidence at this point 
And as I said, we continue to work with them and monitor the progress they're making in terms of getting a greater understanding of whether or not there is a linkage. So in other words, tap, 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 dance, 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 and we're going to stall until we can... That's what it sounds like to me. To yeah. I, I, we can't get into his state of mind as to why he no. said that. It's possible he was simply doubling down because that's what mm-hmm. they're saying in the court case. So he wants to double down on that, that position. Uh, it's equally possible that he wasn't ready for the question. Um, It's been my experience. I've had lots of clients where I've helped them with communications, and some clients are not really that good with media, surprisingly so. It's, you know, um, media can ask questions, and the clients think he can handle almost anything, Um, and then you kind of just stumble your way through that question that becomes the headline but with that not with that brad again you're you're an, you're an advisor you're a, a you're 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 helping people prepare for this kind of stuff you're the pr- the head of a football league would that question not have been expected i that would surely be on your list of questions if, to if be prepared i was for. his media advisor yes and i would have had him prepared for it but we don't know whether or not he's using media advice or whether or not he believes he can handle this on his own trump didn't use much media advice <laughs> um so there are people out there who don't do that um but given that he's in the middle of a a, a trial the most prudent course of action is listen it's before the courts and i'm not going to comment on that mm-hmm. and it's an easy out people say oh well you're just yeah, but he didn't answer the question, right? And so it didn't become a headline. What do you think, while we're talking about the Great Cup for a minute, there have been a lot of problems uh, selling this one. There's been a lot of problems with tickets. There's been... Um, Should have been in Hamilton. Well, would it have sold out in Hamilton? I don't we know. Did, we didn't the last time. I think we were talking about this. Were we talking about on air or off air? I can't it was remember. off air. 96, you were telling 96, us off air. So there was a Tim Hortons two-for-one ticket by the day of the game because they were short. I... I I like to think we would sell out a, a Grey Cup game now, but would we? There's much more competition for the audiences yeah. than there ever was before. And, and uh, I, I mean, I can sit at home and watch umpteen TSN channels and sports channels and and have a plethora of sports before me. I don't have to go to a, a Grey Cup game. The, the experience... Um, is something that really needs to be talked about for any CFL game. I, I love going to as many Ticat games as possible. I'd love to get to a Grey Cup game. My timing just doesn't allow it this year. This is, regardless of what anyone else says, this is truly a great sport. I don't care if it plays second fiddle to the NFL. I would much rather watch a CFL game any day over an NFL game. And it is extremely unfortunate that this great country of ours and so many people certain other radio stations out there in, in, in the Toronto area that bash the CFL instead of being positive and backing it, it, it's actually embarrassing. You'll cover the Raptors, you'll cover the Leafs, you'll cover the Jays. Even TFC now is ahead, I think, of, of the Toronto Argonauts now. But when it comes to the CFL, some of these stations don't even want to put them in the in the 2020 update or whatever the updates are because they just don't care. And it is, it's really unfortunate that sports journalists don't take and I'm not painting them all with one brush by any means, but there's a big number of them <laughs> out there. Okay. Paint nice, away. Nice save right there. But there's there's a large number of them that couldn't care less about the CFL because they think it's a it's a it's a rookie league because it's it's cast off from the the NFL. Are they perfect? No, they're not. But my gosh, it is exciting football, and more people should get on board. Okay, so how then, if you're in Toronto, if you're the Toronto Argonauts, and we only have a few minutes here, unfortunately, we need about seven weeks. How do you try and claw? I mean, it's bit by bit, but how do you even begin to start to claw back into that marketplace? Well, I think the Argos have hurt themselves. They have not spent a lot of advertising dollars anywhere. 
and the advertising a bad team. advertising dollars they did spend was more about the tailgating and not the actual team and True all enough. that. And of course, a winning team also helps those things out as well. I think as a team, and again, I don't know what their budget is, their books are. You you got to spend a little bit if you want to get that word of mouth out there. And you don't even have to spend a you can social media nowadays can be your whole marketing campaign and you don't have to spend a lot on that. It's easy to do if you do it properly. I can't believe, and even though they canceled it, we saw the story about the free tickets, two free tickets if you bought a $30 pizza pizza. And honestly, even though that was pulled back, I can't think of anything that the CFL could have had happen to it in the days leading up to the Grey Cup that would have looked more ridiculous, more credibility-busting to a league than to say, we will give you two tickets to our championship game if you buy pizza and wings. That, to me, Brad, just, it was, it was devastating. I thought it was devastating to the league's credibility, especially mm-hmm. in the Toronto market, where, it, as Mike says, it's already seen as Bush League or minor league. Can't think of anything worse. Yeah, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so, I, at the end of the day, if you're going to look at it as a business, then you're going to do much like uh, our caretaker here in Hamilton does, and and... He talks football nonstop, and he makes sure that his coaches and his players are available to the media and are constantly in front of the media so that there's excitement about the team. Even when they're losing, there's still excitement about the team. Um, In the Toronto market, it didn't seem to happen that way. I didn't hear interviews with the Argonauts or with their coaches. It was almost like they were hiding. And, And you can't build up momentum if you're hiding. So very quick. So go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, I think the CFL needs to bite the bullet. Look at them. Look at all themselves in the mirror and say, you know what? We can't market and promote this game properly. We need to uh, ship this out to a proper marketing company, to someone that really knows what they're doing. And I'm not just talking about some nickel and dime. I'm talking about high end. Even if you, I hate to say this, even if you have to go to the states. Because let's face it. Well, the commissioner's from the States, so why not? They know That's how- not politically correct. <laughs> oh, that, have I offended you, Brad? My apologies. Don't say that at a Canadian university. You, 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 you ship it out to, to a, an agency that really knows how to do things properly, and, and you get this ship uh, back in line. Before, I, before we go to break, go to the, let's go to the question that Brad raised. Mike, you first, then Brad. If we did have a Grey Cup in Hamilton in the next few years, would it sell out? Is Hamilton, keeping in, is keeping, Hamilton in it? <laughs> but, 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 well, it's, regardless, it's, I know. Regardless, yeah. and keeping in mind that this, that the ticket prices are not Ticat ticket prices. It's not going to be your 60 bucks or 70 bucks. You're going to be talking about three or four, maybe $500. Would Hamilton sell out? In its current state, no. In its current? Meaning the way the CFL is run and, 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 and all that stuff and the way the marketing is so poorly done, no. I think they, they could come pretty close to selling out. Um, and it depends on how many more additional seats they put in, because uh, they always try to build up the stadium even even higher. Um, there seems to be when it's in, at least in Hamilton, it becomes an event. All of the Grey Cups that I remember from my youth, they were real big events. I, I mean, I had, I still had souvenirs at home, the, the lunchbox, remember the CFL mm, lunchbox? Cool. And I mean, they always made it this iconic event. It wasn't just the game. It was the weekend. It was the build-up to the game. Um, and that's missing right now. Well, there's some, it, it used to be, and, I, and we'll go to the break, but I have seen pictures. It was before I came along. It was long before I was born. Pictures of my parents when my parents were in their 20s, I guess, 
going to a friend's house who had set up, had built bleachers in their garage and pulled the TV into the garage mm-hmm. with the rabbit ears and they sat in the cold with their coats on and it was, this was, I'm told, very much not uncommon. You had people, the Grey Cup was such a massive event that the entire country literally got in. And now, and I mean, I understand there's reasons for it and everything else, but now if you did that, it would be a ton of fun, but your neighbors would probably wonder, what in the world? Why would you just not sit inside? It's There's something about the game that has changed, and I don't know if it's the corporate part of it, because it seems like in the past, in the old days, it was very much a of-the-people Canadian kind of thing, and it has become more corporate, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't necessarily sell out. Yeah, I still... Th- I still... I don't know. I when I go to the great, the um, Tiger Cat games here. It really is a Hamilton event. That that yes, no. You're and right. so I think that would still carry the Grey Cup. I think that that attitude, we're talking about a five hundred dollar ticket at Tim Hortons Field. Whether that would still be of the people? Um, I, nope. I, 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 it'd be a challenge for sure for a lot of people. We should we should swing back to what the first topic we were talking about. Anyone who walks through the gates who can afford a five hundred dollar ticket has their taxes doubled to try and pay for a growing <laughs> doubling deficit. Wow. <laughs> I'll let you think about that one for a few minutes. Back after this on the Scott Radley Show. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. In studio with Mike Fortune, Brad Clark. <laughs> My daughter is in nursing school and (laughs) she had some things to do this week as part of her nursing placement, which, um, I don't want to do. (laughs) A, I would never do them. And B, I applaud the fact that someday if I ever need these things, there are nurses out there who will do this and have the compassion and the ability to do these things. Amen. Because I literally, like on a list, if I was to compile a list of things that I do not want to do in my life, I would think that things nurses have to do probably take about four of the top five spots. Yeah, no doubt. And so, and you know. Thank, as I say, thank goodness And that's for without them. the technical stuff. That's just the cleanup stuff. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um, some of the stuff that, uh, not that she's necessarily done, but stories that she's heard and things like that. I, I, the, I tell you a story. This was not what we were going to talk about, but <laughs> the very first day she, she had been accepted to school and she had to order away for a textbook. And this book arrives at our house and it's about three inches thick wrapped in cellophane and it's the really nice almost plastic w- nice paper with all the color pictures and they're actual photos they're not diagrams and she takes the cellophane off and she's very excited about nursing and she opens it randomly and plops it open and the very first page it opens to is how to insert a catheter into a guy <laughs> and I just looked at her and I said are you sure you want to do this oh man um, I got tears in my eyes just thinking about it <laughs> It's, you know, again, thank goodness. Can we change the subject? Thank goodness. Because <laughs> it's goodness starting to hurt. Yeah, thank goodness for nurses is all I'm going to say. You nurses out there, we appreciate. Well, I've never actually had that, thank goodness, which is what I really appreciate. But if the day ever comes, I appreciate that there it's are people. It's the taking out that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting invited no, back, no, am no, I? No, I yeah, but, the, you know, you should have told them to use the catheter that doesn't have the, like, the fish prong yeah. that, that cuts in on the way through. Or you forget that it's there and you walk away from the bed. Oh. <laughs> well, again, was not going to bring this up, but I worked, with, I worked with a guy one time in another paper who was uh, who had kidney stones. 
Oh, those are painful. And they had, I guess, um, done the uh, blasting of them with yep. the... But they broke them up, but they're still not out. And he, the bathroom was just off the newsroom. And all of a sudden, we're quietly working one night. And all of a sudden, you just Screams. hear... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, what's going on? I don't want to go in there. Like razor blades. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's um, brutal. So, yes, we're very thankful. Uh, very quickly, got a couple minutes left here. Uh, good to see that the... Uh, Mike, you were talking about how people are angry. They're not just angry. They're angry, and they are in search of a good bargain. You combine those two, and you end up with Black Friday sales today. Good to see that, once again, people in the States were being executed in order to get large-screen TVs, and even in New Jersey, uh, paper towels. Mm -hmm. There was a gunfight over paper towels that were on sale, and someone was shot and killed. Unbelievable. God bless America. Yeah. (laughs) People just go absolutely loopy when they see sales. I I don't get what the big fascination is. Yes, there there is a story here. Why are they taking their guns to the grocery store? Well, because it's America. You 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 got to buy your bullets. They're on sale. Buy your bullets. Yeah. (laughs) Goodness. Uh, Here is where was this one in? um, Oh, this was in South Africa. Oh my goodness! I didn't realize this in South Africa. Oh, so you know you're creating fake news. (laughs) There was a riot over toilet papers on Black Friday. I didn't know they had Black Friday sales in South Africa. I guess they've taken on the American thing. Uh, But yes, there shots. People killed outside New Jersey, outside of Walmart. uh, uh, Beatings going on. It's it's outrageous. Like, just get a life, guys. What what would be? I'm I'm just trying to think when you go to the mall for a sale, and you don't get the item because they're sold out. What part of it is worth shooting someone to get it, knowing that you won't even be able to watch your big screen TV in prison? I don't even go to the mall, so you're well, asking the wrong guy. There's that. <laughs> there's that part, and there's the part about why would you go to the mall and try and find a parking spot on a Black Friday or on a day before Christmas or something? Hey, you did it. I, I was there. I did it. But but again, I told you guys, I had a plan. I gave myself lots of time. And no I, guns. No guns. And I, I watched everyone else around me look like an idiot, and that's fine. I just casually walked in. You know what? There's a little switch, I think, that goes off in a lot of people's head where they just, they, they are so, I have to get, I have to get, I'm saving money, I have to get. And they forget everything else that's going on around them, and they just go bonkers. And it's a real shame. It's shopping. their humanity. It's yeah. shopping for Tickle Me Elmos and getting catheters removed. Moves. It'll make you go crazy. <laughs> Just before we go to our last For break. For different reasons. <laughs> Very much so. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.